It's a wonderful story, isn't it? A great parable. Some wonderful truths. Um, and I'm not going to be able to cover everything. Uh, it's a bit of pressure when you come across something so familiar, even in, uh, even in the secular world. Uh, the prodigal son is well known. People know what it's about. And, uh, and today, this week, I had the added pressure because my eldest daughter, Mackenzie, has done a research project at school on the prodigal son this year. So I'm getting notes are being taken and make sure I cover off everything. But my prayer has been, as it is for every other message, as familiar as the passage is or not, God, what is it that you want to be told to your people? And so thanks, Ev, it is a message that I know God has laid on my heart and the truth that he has exposed to me and that has challenged me this week. We often think, and I think it's because we can associate ourselves quite easily with the prodigal son, that the emphasis of the story is the son. But what has struck me this week is the emphasis on the father. That's where the emphasis is today. The emphasis on the father, the character of the father. And we come to this setting and the setting is so important as you hear throughout this message. Jesus is with Pharisees, the religious elite, these leaders of the community. He's with the Pharisees but he's also with sinners. It says in the beginning of chapter 15, and the religious elite, well, they lorded over the sinners. They looked down to the sinners. And here they are in all their self-righteousness, doing all their actions, following the law to the nth degree that they've added all these extra things to. And they're lording it over these people who are probably commonly known as, as people living on the edge of the fringes of the Judaism and, and following the Lord very loosely. Nothing compared to the Pharisees. So who is it Jesus is sitting with? The sinners. Interesting. And it says this story, a man has two sons. The younger one tells his father, Father, give me share of the estate. And so the father did. Now some of these things, were, were, were Jesus didn't have to expand like I will today in some of the context because they would have just understood. But you see, for a son to do that to a father, I mean even today it's unheard of really, before someone passes away that you would be going to them to ask for your inheritance. But especially in this time, you'd be excommunicated, cut off. That's, you'd be rejected. Not just within a family setting, but the community setting. 
But the father, for the stake of the story, Jesus says, divided up his property between them. Verse 13, at the beginning it says, not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had. Not long after that. I think it's important. If we, if we picture in our minds the sort of setting that Jesus is talking about, I think when we talk about the prodigal son, we often think about a, um, and I thought about Pat and Lorraine's house. If you've ever been to Pat and Lorraine's house, it's a hill in, uh, hill in Wattle Glen. Their house sits on top of a hill in Wattle Glen. Big long driveway. And we quite often think about the prodigal son as the, that's the sort of the case, you know, later on where the son's coming back, the, the father's out on the, the patio with a nice tea. Oh, son's coming up the driveway. Probably not the setting. More likely, people's houses were much closer together. If you went to a village, you would have one road down the middle, not very wide. People's houses living on both sides of that road, um, quite close together, the living quarters. And the property in the farms would be in the distance. They would be all around, but the living quarters would be close together. You see, the community wouldn't have been happy with what this son's done. And it wouldn't have taken long for word to spread. And when he gets his estate, he needs a quick sale. And he hasn't got time to wait around to get the best offer. You'd imagine he settles for a quick sale to get away from an angry, rejecting community. Not long, he sets off with all he has to a distant country and he squanders his wealth in wild living. Chaotic is the the, the word that comes to mind there. A chaotic lifestyle where money, sex and power are at play. The downfall of humanity since the beginning of time 2,000 years ago and in 2023. And he finds himself in a Gentile country working for a Gentile farmer and hide himself out feeding the pigs. It's about as low as you could go for a Jew in a foreign country in a pig pen. He's hit rock bottom and he's starving to death. Not like the starving that Mackenzie and Ava have at 4.30, how long's dinner, haven't eaten for 25 minutes, or starving. Not that starving. 
probably a starving that I don't know all of your life experience, but probably a starving that we've never experienced before. Seventeen said he came to his senses. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Here he is in this pitiful situation starving to death. And his mind goes to what has been and where he could go. And when he speaks of becoming a hired man, he's talking about coming in back to the father's house in the lowest position in the household. Below the servants, the bond servant, the servant the hired man. Let me come in at the lowest point just to survive, just to get a feed. I'll come in at the lowest point because that's much better to be down there in my father's house than it is to be here in this place. You see, my firm view on the prodigal son, and there are contrasting commentaries, the prodigal son is not referring to the the, the believer, the, the Christian who has just wandered away from church for weeks or months or years and then comes back to be involved in the church and get their life right with Jesus. I think there's principles that can apply to that. But remember who Jesus is talking to when he's telling this story because this story is relevant to them. The Pharisees and the sinners, the ones who have been told you're not good enough, the ones who have said where you have been, what you have said, the things that you have done, you're not good enough for God. That's who Jesus is sitting with right now. And their minds might be saying, well, I'm not good enough for God. I don't even know if I'm good enough to come in at the lowest place in God's kingdom. And here is this son prepared to come in at the lowest position for survival. Love these words in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off. You know, I sort of mentioned that um, village that's sort of set up, if you can picture that in your mind, that long road, maybe longer than my owner road. 
And you've got those houses and the people living in those quarters, the farm, land out the backs and around. And here he comes, maybe down Sherbourne Road, you know, heading towards Mayona. And in those villages, uh, the richest people lived in the middle. Interesting. Wild animals or thieves or robbers, they would be the last to be attacked. (laughs) This is a wealthy man. And I'm thinking he lives somewhere in the middle. And this is a long road out of town. And a long way off. But then there's the community. Now the community are angry, remember? Their mindset is this guy has rejected, he should be excommunicated. And we don't know what the relationship is like, has been like between the the father and, and the community. But I imagine that this community, when they see him, they want to grab him. They want to say, what are you doing back here? Oh, you wasted it. Oh, you're desperate now, are you? No, get out. And I was challenged and reminded, what do we look like? What do we turn to when someone hits rock bottom? What becomes of us when we're aware that someone's made some shocking decisions in their life? And maybe we walk past them in the pig pen. Maybe we see them on the way to church. Maybe we see them in our home. Because I know it's so easy to be like the community, to be angry. It's easy to reject. Easy. It's easy to judge. The father saw him, was watching constantly. I don't think this is a one-off lucky guess by the dad. I think he was watching constantly and was filled with compassion. Not judging you know, even the secular world, when they talk about the prodigal, I've heard it many times, it's, oh, the prodigal son, you know, it's used in that context. Real patronising, demeaning, you know, oh, the prodigal son's come back to the footy club or the family. Or... And it's, so it's even understood that it's a real judging term. And the father could have sat there seen him from a long way off and thought, you rat bag. Look what you've done. Embarrassed me. Shamed the family. You know, come back grovelling. That's how I want to see it.
Remember the setting. Jesus is sitting with the sinners. The Father didn't just sympathise. He didn't just look from a distance and not do anything. He was filled with compassion. And that compassion led to action. I, um, as you, most of you are aware, I had that little cafe in the city and used to go in about five o'clock most mornings. I was, uh, I had this rare little space out the back of the shop, um, and it had, uh, um, some fixed, uh, bench seating. And it was undercover. Um, I had the, uh, yeah, it was a unique place, and it was one of the draw cards to the shop. But at five in the morning, on my way to work and in the surrounds of where I was and over the couple of years I was there, I regularly came across people sleeping rough, um, drug use, starving people. A number of times I was able to sit and give people some time. Um, in fact, make some free coffees in the afternoon, give the last few vacatures that were going to go in the bin, just give them away. The guy who was sleeping regularly in my shop in the morning when the light would come on, sometimes I was able to just sit with him, give him a drink. Now, I need to balance this because many, many more times than I did that, I was short with the homeless guy. I told him to get out quickly. Many times I put food in the bin. Many times I said I haven't got time to stop and sit and listen. The Father, compassion, compelled him to action. The Father's compassion compelled him to action. You see the action words coming up. He ran. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around his son. He kissed his son. And if we're thinking about that community in that village, I'm thinking that he's ran all the way to where Mayona Road hit Sherbourne Road in front of the community before they can get their hands on him. Hey, he belongs to me. My heart is full of compassion. John 3.16, we've referenced in our time of communion, says, for God so loved the world that he judged us. No. 
that he sympathised for us. No, no, no. For God so loved the world that he gave action. That he gave his one and only son. That Jesus came from heaven to earth. That Jesus came to die for our sins and was raised to life. That we can be forgiven. That we can be made right with God. A God, our Father, full of compassion, doesn't sit in heaven on his throne and look at us squirm and say, you've got to try harder. You've got to do better. No, he's called to action. Jesus came. God gave. Jesus died. So that salvation would not be about our actions, but our faith, believing. So the, the son has this pitch, this little sales pitch. You know, uh, you know I'm, uh, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. I've got this little pitch to get in at the lowest point, remember? So he comes to the father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. But when he comes to the, uh, the, the identity of where I can fit in to the house, he doesn't even get to talk about being one of the hired men. The father stops and interrupts quick. Bring the robe. Bring the ring. Bring the sandals. He's not coming in as a hired man down here. No, no. The robe, the sandals, the ring identify him as the son of the household. He's coming back in where he was at. You know, guilt and shame and embarrassment, I think, are tools of Satan. I think are on the minds of those that are sitting with Jesus as he says these words. These sinners are sitting with Jesus. And maybe guilt and shame and embarrassment are on their mind that they're not good enough. And maybe it's on your mind this morning, I'm not good enough to even come in at the lowest point of the God's kingdom because of where I've been, because of what I've done. You see, without God, without God, what identity do we have? Without God, what is the purpose in this life? Without God, what reason do we have to actually live today and tomorrow? Well, I tell you, there's a million different identities and reasons and purposes the world has to offer. And people that reject God will find all sorts of other reasons and identities and purposes to live. 
But there are six chapters in Ephesians that are awesome. And if that is on your mind, I would encourage you just to take a short read of Ephesians. Speaks about the one who has made a decision to believe in Jesus by faith. Who has come into the kingdom and explains who you are in Christ. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. Chosen before creation to be holy. Chosen to be God's sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Redeemed to God through the blood of Jesus. Forgiven according to the riches of God's grace. And we are, it says, his workmanship created in Jesus to do good works. Good works which God has planned for you. And so that tells me and it tells you this morning, whether you belong to the kingdom or not, whether you've made a decision for Jesus or not this morning, God has a plan for you. God has works for you. I imagine this must have been eating at the Pharisees. As Jesus sat down with the sinners telling this story, it must have been eating at the Pharisees, standing around. Oh, he's eating with the sinners. Because, you know, the verses just before this prodigal son, Jesus talks about the shepherd with the lost sheep. The father, like the shepherd, went looking for the lost. The coin, God is like that woman in the house looking for the coin. And the story of those things that says Jesus said is about repentance. Repent. God is looking for the lost. Change your mind and your life. Believe. Come into faith. Come into the kingdom. The Pharisees have done so much right to reach God. The Pharisees in their own minds have done so much good to find approval in God's eyes. And I'm not spending much time on the other son this morning. But it reflects the attitude of self-righteousness you see in the, the older son. Who says, hey I've done this and I've done that. What about me? And some commentaries will, will say that the older son is a believer. Just a stubborn old Christian who's not willing to accept the other son. But I, maybe, I, I'm not, I'm inclined to say both of these sons need a change of attitude. That both need saving. But there's only one who recognises the sin in their life. There's only one who sees their heart and seeks forgiveness. 
what is the Holy Spirit speaking into your life today about? Maybe salvation has been settled a long time ago for you. You made a decision 50 years ago for Jesus. Or just maybe a year ago. But today as you sit here, the Spirit of God is challenging you. There's an attitude that needs to be changed. There's something in your life that needs to bring you to the place of not judging and rejecting, but a place of seeing my own heart for what it is today. I need to repent. I need to recognise sin in my life. I need to recognise my need to be right with God in order for his purposes to be achieved in my life. Maybe you do claim to belong to Jesus and you you haven't hit rock bottom. You're not in the place where the pilgrim was. I mean, life is okay. I'm sorry, but I meant to say if you don't belong to Jesus, you claim... You don't belong to Jesus, but you haven't hit rock bottom. That there's still something missing. Where is your identity this morning? Where is your purpose? But maybe this morning you are hurting with the weight and the burden of sin. And maybe you 100% relate with where this guy's at. And you have hit that rock bottom place of what does lie, how do I even get through tomorrow? God, Jesus' message to the sinners, Jesus' message to the Pharisees, even though they wouldn't listen, is the same. From the, the shepherd looking for the sheep, for the woman looking for the coin, to the son, prodigal son coming home. Jesus' message to these people is God is searching for the lost. And he's doing something about it. And the sinners and the Pharisees, you guys need to repent. You need to change. Psalm 55, Psalmist writes these words, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. The call of Jesus today to you is the same as it was in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. And that rest today is forgiveness. That rest is salvation. 
it, that rest is coming into the kingdom. Not sneaking in because you've been so bad. No, no, you're coming in. And God says, this is your identity in me. Uh, I'm going to clothe you in righteousness. I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm going to give you things to do that bring glory to my name. We're going to sing a song that um, I'm going to ask the musos to come up and share a song that um, you can you can sing with. And throughout this song, I, I trust that uh, as the Spirit has spoken to you, that you would allow that time and opportunity and space to reflect and to respond. Response might be just in the seat you're at between you and the Lord. Maybe come down and, and, and speak and pray with myself or someone else. Maybe reach out during the week or after the service. But what is the Holy Spirit telling you today? This is the living word of the Lord. Don't leave without a response to your Creator.